In the past decade, global plastic pollution has become one of the most damaging environmental issues to threaten the balance of our ecosystem. With over 180 million tons of plastic waste entering the oceans each and every year, the equivalent of dumping one garbage truck full of plastic every single minute, finding a solution has become essential to protect the food chain and ensure our planet's future. Fortunately, in the depths of the Amazon rainforest, scientists have discovered the magical properties of a tiny fungus called Pestilotiopsis microspora. This fungus possesses the rare ability to break down complex polymer chains in plastic, leaving behind only simple molecules like carbon dioxide and water. In just six weeks, this fungus is able to degrade up to 92% of the plastic it's exposed to giving scientists the hope that a biological solution may hold the key to the terrifying levels of plastic waste. Welcome to Racing Green, the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie at the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. Today, we chat with Irina Druzhinina, Senior Research Leader of Fungal Diversity and Systematics at Kew Gardens in London. As we explore the mechanisms, potential applications, and the challenges of using fungi to tackle global plastic waste. Welcome, Irina. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I wonder, just as a starting point, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background on how you came to be working within fungal diversity and systematics. What is systematics, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I study fungi since the age of 14, since my teenager time. And then I got my background education in mycology. This is the area of microbiology that studies fungi. And yeah, that's um, all my life. So that's more than um, now 25 years I study fungi. What is a fungi, by the way? Well, fungi, mushrooms, certainly. But mushroom, we can compare it with, for example, a flower of plants. So that mushrooms are not all fungi. For example, if you only think about flowers, you cannot think that it's all what you know about plants. Fungi are not related to plants, but they are more closely related to us, to animals. And it means that they cannot produce organic matter as plants do. You know that plants, they have photosynthesis, they're green, and they can produce organic matter that we all feed on. No, fungi cannot do this. And like us, like animals, they need to feed on organic matter. But they're also very different from animals because our cells, our cells of animals, it has no cell wall. It means that our cells, that they can interact, they can form multicellular complex organisms, our human brain, and so on. And it's very important that our cells, they don't have the cell wall again, but they can also take some food particles and digest them. Fungi have a very different strategy. Their cells are covered by a very rigid cell wall. 
That is very important because the cell wall is made of hyacin, and hyacin is like the crop shell. It's a really hard material. So they need to take organic matter, but they cannot really take food particles because their cells are covered by this very rigid cell wall. So they have to solve this problem, and they do it by digesting food around them. So they secrete enzymes, and we probably talk about this later. They secrete digestive molecules and cook their food before they really take it. They use these um, enzymes to cut complex organic molecules in small parts that they can be simply absorbed inside the cell. This is a little bit similar to what we do when we cook our food. So this way of nutrition is called absorptive nutrition. They absorb simple nutrients and this way of feeding together with the fact that they have the cell wall actually dictates their shape of fungal body they can only be thin cylinders because that is makes this nutrition possible therefore fungi are their organisms that are related to us but they can only be thin threads thin filaments and they need to grow in their food they just literally need to grow inside their food therefore we usually don't see fungi they don't appear visible to us because they penetrate soil they penetrate also living organisms many fungi they live inside plant tissues not as parasites but just as their symbionts as their friends as well mushrooms or other fruiting structures fruiting bodies that what fungi used to to reproduce to disperse their spores and that's what we can see but their main part of fungal body is located inside the substrate and it's not very visible okay so the if i'm understanding then what we see as mushrooms is the flower whereas the bulk of the actual fungus itself is deep rooted in whatever soil or or a tree or something like that yes and here is a very interesting thing because we used to microscope fungi so their th- filaments threads are very small so we need to magnify them and therefore we frequently think about mycology as a part of microbiology right but at the same time a single fungus can be huge so that's listed really? yes it's listed among the largest organisms on earth in the guinness book because in canada they found that one uh, one fungus that just penetrated the entire forest and it was estimated that it was several thousand years old and the biomass was there uh, several thousand tons so that's the reason like we are so subjective right what we call micro and macro in this case so fun are different in the sense that they penetrate the environment and they spread wow so today's topic is a solution to plastic waste using fungi as that solution so one of you might want to tell us about plastics and how your work is going to help solve that problem well yes uh, um first i want to say about plastic that plastic is actually a good thing it's our friend 
And I'm old enough to remember a time when the plastic bag was something prestigious and we just, I don't know, not ironed it, but washed it and used it again, again and again. So that I also remember the time when the hospital did not have single-use disposables and when we always had a concern of sterility and safety in this case. So plastic changed our life and that is generally a good thing. But the use of plastic is, of course, a problem because it is absolutely crucial for several technologies, for parts of our machines, for our computers and devices and medical supplies. But, of course, it's overused when we pack things and the packaging of the plastic produces an enormous amount of plastic waste. And that is our responsibility to solve this. I see that we are now the introduction of plastics in our life that was only a couple decades ago. And we're now in the stage when we are learning how to use it and the need for the technology to to efficiently and safely degrade plastic, it's a one of one of the important steps of introducing this technology. So that's very important that we now understand and want to solve this issue. So what is very important for this? That is the plastic is a new material that is not that did not exist in nature and therefore the microorganisms or macroorganisms how <laughs> we now know fungi can be really big they still don't know how to deal with this it's a new material but but for this it's very important to understand that that some several hundred million years ago plants developed evolved cellulose that was also a very new polymer, natural polymer, but was very new and it was very resilient for degradation. It was very hard to degrade and therefore cellulose accumulated and that we now use as a fossil fuel, right? And for a very long time, for several hundred million years, microorganisms did not know how to deal with cellulose. But then in the evolutionary process, slowly, step by step, microorganisms, including fungi, they learned how to degrade cellulose. And that was actually the end of their period of the accumulation of the coal and other other materials that we now use for fuel. So um, what I want to say that plastic is not very different. So that it is a new, uh, very uh, resilient, very hard to degrade material that is introduced to the environment by us. So we are now living in the plastic age, iron age, <laughs> stone age, <laughs> this is definitely a plastic age. Uh, and um, in the biosphere, there are, there are microorganisms, microorganisms, macroorganisms, they will finally learn how to deal with this, but it's not, did not happen yet. And our task to develop technology and to speed this process and to help microorganisms to go to the right direction. Wow. We don't have this million, millions years that, yeah. that nature had before. So we need to solve it really fast because the accumulation of the plastic waste goes beyond the control. And here, of course, there are several, several lines of solution we need to uh, be more responsible when we use the plastic. Uh, we need to develop plastics that can be degraded, biodegradable plastics. And of course, we need to solve, um, we need to search for the solution how to 
uh, how to degrade it in their non-toxic and efficient way. And here uh, that we try to develop the technology. Yeah. If I look back and I think back in my early childhood, plastics weren't as widespread even then. So, it, and as you said, it's only been a problem that has been identified in the last couple of decades, really. Tell us about how fungi can help with this problem. So you may remember that fungi feed by secreting enzymes and they degrade uh, their food, pre-degrade, pre-cook their food before they can really absorb it. That means that fungi are able to secrete a lot of digestive enzymes outside their cell. And what is an enzyme? That is very, I think, important to understand. Um, enzyme, it's a large biological molecule that uh, provides uh, unique biochemical conditions, like a little, little biological pocket for a certain chemical reaction. And we have enzymes that are specific for some substrate. For example, we have enzymes that uh, help to uh, degrade starch or cellulose or some certain proteins. So these and these molecules, they can be really specific and they can be uh, less specific. And this is actually the key uh, point for the technology, what we want to develop. We want to search for the enzymes that are able to degrade natural polymers that are similar to plastics. And this can be more or less like a side effect of this enzymatic, of this activity of, of these molecules. And that, that is one line of research. Uh, for example, if you think about an apple, and the apple is covered by some waxy layer, right? Sometimes you even can scratch an apple and you see that it's kind of a little bit oily and a little bit waxy. So the apple is covered by cutin, and that is a natural polymer that is a little bit similar to chemically to several plastic. So in nature, of course, there are enzymes that are called cutinases, that enzymes that are able to degrade cutin. And that might be that some of these enzymes can also have some uh, degrading activity against some plastics that can be only the side side activity of these enzymes. But what we can do, first of all, we can, there are several lines of research. We can start from simple screening for microorganisms that have these enzymes and search for, just screen, search for good enzymes. The second way we can do second line of research, we can focus on the known and the familiar enzyme and use artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithms to predict which modifications of these enzymes can improve its activity, its ability to degrade plastics. Or we can, for example, use our theoretical knowledge and see how the ability to degrade cellulose emerged in fungi and use this all theory and information in transfer the similar approach to the enzymes that are capable to degrade plastic and again improve them. So if we simplify, we need to investigate the diversity of fungi. And for this, we need to know their systematics. We need to, you know, kind of target our search. 
right? Yeah. And another direction is that we need to improve these enzymes. And for this, we need to use, of course, the, what is called gene engineering, protein engineering, and these high technologies. So is this a technology that can be rolled out today or is this something for the future? Well, the short question is yes, uh, but <laughs> their uh, bottleneck is, of course, the cost and efficiency. I want to prove this, what may, call, what may sound as a hypothesis to you, by the fact that you probably know that uh, there is a bigger issue with the plastic pollution of the ocean. Right, So that yeah. an ocean that's particularly clear and particularly bad, but um, the soil is not much less polluted, right? But obviously soil microorganisms somehow deal with this. The side effect of this, it's a release of microplastics because probably these microorganisms, they just cut long polymers and shorter fragments and then they're also released to um, rivers and then to the ocean. But in the, in the ocean, this activity is a lot less because of uh, saline water, because the conditions there are a lot less suitable for this enzymatic activity. Their enzymes just more or less like washed away, right? So, of course, for sure, uh, this uh, this um, uh, makes sense and that exists in um, this um, technology has uh, ground, solid ground to exist. Whether it is already at the stage of applications, yes and no. Um, it's, still, it's still time for us to make it economically efficient and uh, and um, profitable for uh, broad introduction. So what we need to do, we need to search for cheaper solutions making these um, uh, good enzymes. We have already several good enzymes and they are not necessarily fungal, they can also be bacterial. So in this case, bacteria, they can also, using the same principle, bacteria can also do this. We have several potentially good enzymes and we improve their efficiency, making it the degradation process faster and faster. But still, I think that is quite some work to do to make it broadly acceptable and commercially efficient. And in what environments such as the sea or land does your work apply to? As fungi are more terrestrial organisms, of course, there are also marine fungi, I would focus more on um, terrestrial microorganisms and I would also focus, focus on um, fungi that grow in natural habitats uh, rich in, for example, cutin uh, mm -hmm. and um, uh, search this microbial community that does not necessarily need to be a fungus. That can be fungal bacterial communities that may have their high efficient, highly efficient enzymes to uh, be able to degrade cutin. And for this, we rather focus on tropical forests where the leaves are long-lived and where uh, their humidity allows the formation of like little microbial gardens on the surface of the leaves. So that is our uh, target community, which we want to investigate, which we are investigating already for several years for um, this kind of enzymes. And the second thing what we do, we try to, of course, improve the enzymes that we already know and have. Wow. Fascinating. Where do you think the technology will be in 10 years with plastic-eating fungi? This is a very um, widely accepted and 
recognized target for microbiological studies. Yeah. So that is, I think now there are really many laboratories working on this and this becomes more and more recognized uh, topic for also funding uh, mm -hmm. these projects. And if previously we only had some uh, like flagship projects, right? Yeah. Because their, their outcome was really unlikely. Now that's recognized by uh, research funds that support fundamental research and also by research funds that focus on the applied studies. I believe that the breakthrough uh, should appear along with the general public concern and um, their more responsible use of plastic or reduction of unneeded plastic use in this case. Could fungi provide a solution for the vast amounts of plastic in the oceans? Yeah, well, uh, you know, you can even use pyrolysis and create high-quality oil products back so you can kind of regenerate oil from plastic backward, uh, but it's a chemical process. Yes, I, I believe um, that is uh, certainly the way uh, and one of the possibilities. Their big bottleneck is that we only sample a very minor part of plastic for the recycling and the degradation. So right now, I think maybe 9-10% of Plastic goes for the recycling, and we are working for the solution for this minor amount. I think that's very important to recognize that the plastic should not be released in the environment in this huge amount. So the real solution now, the immediate solution, is to stop putting plastics into the environment. So what's the next frontier for your research? Where would you like to see the next level of improvements? Yeah, I uh, last four years uh, before coming to Q, I worked in China. I was teaching in, in, in the university. And we also targeted this research there with our students. With my students, we uh, went to several sampling trips where we collected plastic waste and some very interesting habitats like salt marshes and and so on and um, that that was kind of obvious for me that under uh, the government there is powerful enough to uh, organize the campaign and collect this plastic waste but the technology to recycle is was not there so they didn't do it because there would be no place where to store it and where to recycle so my my dream would be the development of the technology that would be able to um, accept uh, or accommodate this plastic that can be collected maybe not from the ocean but from from the coastal area and uh, reuse it uh, so because what we want to develop the technology when we can use their enzymes to cut the plastics, of course, they are very different and specificity is important, to small molecules that can be reused to generate, again, high-quality plastics again. So that, that should be the recycling, recycling technology. My aim or my hope that their, their high throughput of this technology can accommodate the plastic that can be collected. Are fungal solutions to degradation, plastic degradation, would they work on all types of plastics, in theory? In theory, ideally, yes. But of course, we start now, we start our search from uh, easy degradable plastics, like, for example, polycaprolactone. This plastic is sometimes used for some uh, medical uses when their parts of their body are replaced by plastic. 
And uh, that is the most promising plastic because we already see that in our screening, maybe 10-15% of fungi that we can cultivate on polycaprolactone can degrade it. So that means that there is this potential activity and from this we can go up to really hard plastics like polyethylene terephthalate that is used to make plastic bottles. This one is really hard to degrade, uh, not only because it's also very hard plastic, but because it's also very hydrophobic. It's really hard to attach the molecule of enzyme to this, to this material. So Ideally, yes, but we need to work more on diversifying these enzymes. Therefore, we need to screen as many microorganisms as possible to find the enzymes that have more of this activity mode. And how long would it take for fungi to break down something like a plastic bottle? Now it's estimated that the plastic bottle will survive in the environment for 500 years, for example. If we immerse it in our good enzymes, we talk about maybe several months. It's certainly progress, but of course, it's too slow for industry at this moment. Wow. So what are your biggest hurdles to making this happen soon? For the research is that that's actually why I wanted uh, to work a little bit in China, because I didn't want to have a, a financial <laughs> limit for, for my research, because it's really a luxury there, because this country invests huge amount of in China, in China huge amount of money in research. So I had a very uh, good funding opportunity there and could focus on the research for some years. But at the same time, um, uh, of course, there's, there's no perfect place so that their uh, collaboration is more difficult with, with my partners all over the world uh, in China. Therefore, it was only possible for several, several years. So I think, um, of course, uh, the funding, uh, the recognition of their uh, potential power of this research is an important is an important uh, part and component of yeah. future success. So that funding funding organizations support not only uh, applied directions but also theoretical research because we have a lot of theoretical questions to solve regarding uh, which methods, which uh, which fungal um, groups are potentially more profitable. Um, useful for this and so, uh, but also um, certainly time, that's also an issue. I think that I expect that we need probably not, not a decade, but we still need uh, quite significant time to, to go through, to make a breakthrough. But I'm very, very optimistic because there are many of microbiologists, protein engineers, gene technologists, fungal geneticists that work on, on this this topic. And is there any part of the world where this is really happening really fast? I think that Germany is doing really, really well. And uh, there is a very good, good group working on this research and they develop a very efficient enzyme compared to, relatively <laughs> compared to the others. Uh, well, it's decentralized, I think, because there are also Japanese scientists that also make a very good progress in this. Yeah, well, in general, I think that is... Um, general front line and science is global. So yeah. we cannot say that it's somewhere more, one place more than another. This has been fantastic. Irina, thanks for joining us here today on Racing Green. It's my pleasure. Thank you.
That's all for this episode of Racing Green. Thanks for joining us. Racing Green is produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Chris Bristow, and Georgina McGiven in collaboration with the Camden Clean Air Initiative. It was recorded at Serendipity Studios, Camden, North London, with music and sound design by Chris Bristow.